So I'd like to begin in my traditional manner, quoting Baba, who always began by saying in Hindi, Sabko Varasanmane Kasat Premse Hardik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that was the essence of spirituality, to welcome everyone with love. So in that spirit, I want to welcome you. And um, I didn't tell uh, Gargi that I'm changing the program. I'm not doing Aurobindo tonight. <laughs> no, not true. <clears throat> Do we have an image of uh, Aurobindo? Yes. So tonight, the uh, teacher, the yogi, the sage, the saint, the siddha that we're going to uh, uh, be following is Sri Aurobindo. This is him in his younger days, his political days, when he was part of the, the uh, Indian independence movement. And at some point, uh, he left that, he left the political realm after being very, very involved, even did time in jail for it. Uh, and then he became a yogi, and he turned away from that and founded an ashram in Pondicherry in South India. Uh, you have them as an older? This is in his uh, last years. And he was mainly uh, a recluse. He mainly stayed in his apartment, but the ashram grew up. And uh, uh, Mira Alfasa, a uh, French woman uh, and mystic, joined him and became the mother of Pondicherry. She's a great teacher in her own right. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing a program uh, from her teachings. <clears throat> he, uh, he was born in Calcutta in 1872, and he died in Pondicherry, South India, in 1950. Um, as I commented before, uh, there were a lot of great beings who died right around the same time, 1950, 1949, 50. Gurdjieff, Ramana Maharshi, and Aurobindo were three of them. <clears throat> so uh, he was. Uh, the thing about Aurobindo is that he was part of the uh, the Raj, the uh, the uh, the English influence. His parents were very influenced by that, and they wanted him to have a classical Western education. So he's educated in England, and he studied the classics, Greek and Latin. Uh, but then later he turned, and he became very proud of the Indian heritage when he became a yogi, uh, and he wrote voluminously, they would say, a uh, long epic poem, many volumes of uh, works on yoga, uh, and, uh, and of course the volumes of the letters, so many, so much uh, production, so many teachings, very influential, uh, had a big influence in Western spirituality too. <clears throat> so Sri Aurobindo. So here are a few uh, vignettes or uh, segments from Aurobindo, some from his letters. But this week to celebrate, uh, we're celebrating his birthday. His birthday uh, was on the 15th of, what? Say it again. Oh, okay. Yes? Okay. Okay, good. 
so his birthday is on the 15th of August, which uh, many great occasions, that's the, uh, the Indian independence, and that we celebrated Baba's Divya Diksha Day, the day of his initiation from Bhagwan Nityananda. And uh, Girish arranged to be born on that day also. <laughs> so, uh, so in honor of his of Aurobindo's birthday on the fifteenth. Uh, hmm? I'm just saying the speaker's not working. Not working. Okay. Okay. Is everyone comfortable? <laughs> so, um, so last week also, as uh, Gargi mentioned, <clears throat> um, uh, it was the celebration of Lord Krishna's birthday. And Krishna is regarded as one of the avatars of Hinduism, uh, and there are uh, these are divine beings who manifest. They are actually incarnations of God who come. They don't have karma. They just come and manifest um, to lift the dharma, to lift the uh, to lift the earth. Uh, sometimes they do political actions and fight wars against injustice, uh, but always it, they have a spiritual impact. A spiritual, and they say that uh, I think there are ten classical avatars of uh, of Vishnu, of which nine have come, and the uh, the tenth is yet to come, the Kalki avatar. That final one, you know, it's a little bit like uh, uh, Judaism is waiting for the Messiah, um, Christianity is waiting for the second coming of Jesus, and the Hindus are waiting for the Kalki avatar, the final avatar. And so it could be uh, somebody right in this room. Who knows? <laughs> and so, of course, you never know when the avatar will come and uh, transform everything. But anyway, uh, Krishna was one of the avatars, as was Ram. Um, <clears throat> and um, so we celebrate that. So I want to begin with one of Sri Aurobindo's writings on Lord Krishna. Uh, he wrote a great book called Essays on the Gita, um, <clears throat> in which he talks about Lord Krishna from the highest perspective. Of course, the Gita is uh, the main scripture of Hinduism, and it's a part of the Mahabharata, an, uh, an epic, long epic poem that every Indian kid studies uh, from birth. They study that and the Ramayana, these two epics. Uh, but a part of it is the Bhagavad Gita, which is the teaching of Lord Krishna to Arjuna on the battlefield. And it's a teaching about yoga and many things. Um, but this is uh, what Aurobindo writes about Krishna. He says, Lord Krishna manifests as love, as joy, or as light. His very being is luminous and conducts the light of divine consciousness in which the supreme truth is revealed. In that light, knowledge, devotion, ecstasy, and bliss are all included. And when we think of Krishna, we usually think of divine love. And so this is the, the light of that. 
you want a photo of Krishna? Yes, we have a photo of Krishna, a recent photo. He's always uh, often portrayed as playing the flute, and uh, his body is in three curves. Uh, what else? Do we have another? I think that's the one. That's the one, OK. You got another one that you can show? No? Not there? Not right now. OK, all right. I can in like a minute. No, never mind. <laughs> <coughs> So Aurobindo goes on, speaking specifically of Krishna's light, uh, this is also referenced in the Upanishads, which speaks of Jyotir Brahman, the light that is Brahman, or the absolute as light. <clears throat> Very often the seeker feels a flow of light upon him or around him, or a flow of light invading his centers, his spiritual centers, chakras, or his whole being and body penetrating and illumining every cell, and as that light grows, the spiritual consciousness grows, and one becomes open to all the many of the work of its workings and realizations. So let's take a moment. This is God or the absolute as light, and go inside and focus on the light of higher consciousness, just light inside. Some people say, I look inside, it's just dark. But actually, if you penetrate that darkness, there's a light behind it. So just imagine that light. Don't create it, but find the light that's inside. The light of awareness, the light of consciousness, the light of Krishna. Just focus on that for a moment. Yeah, you could <clears throat> you can certainly meditate on the light of consciousness as great method via yoga. Okay, you come out of it. <laughs> uh, Orbindo goes on. He says, recently I was shown a book by Swami Ramdas in which he describes this kind of uh, vision of light that filled him completely until bliss filled every pore of his physical frame. Orbinto says it's not always like that. Very often it comes by stages or by long intervals at first, working on the consciousness till it is ready. So gradually uh, you, you, there's a purification that happens that allows more light in. The darkness of ignorance and, and doubt and contraction has to be opened, dispelled, so that the light of, of higher consciousness can come in. I was, I'm always interested because at that time, in the early part of the, of the 20th century, there were three very famous South Indian sages. One was Ramana, one was Aurobindo, and one was Swami Ramdas. <clears throat> and Bhagavan Nityananda, of course, is from the same place, but he, he manifested more northward in the Bombay area. Um, but they were all aware of each other. So he's saying he read a book by Ramdas that tells that story. <clears throat> he goes on, we speak here also of Krishna's light. Krishna's light in the mind, Krishna's light in the vital, but it is a special light. In the mind it brings clarity, freedom from obscurity, 
from mental error and perversion. So that's the clear space. And in the vital, it clears out all the perilous stuff, <clears throat> which is good feeling. So he's talking about the clear space of good feeling as light. And wherever that light manifests, there's pure and divine happiness and gladness. Whether we reach this light by devotion or by bliss or by peace or by any other means whatsoever, that one experience the initial realization of the divine to get it as a thing. And the mean, all means are good uh, to bring it. So he's saying that however you connect with it, by devotion, by knowledge, by yoga, by karma, whatever way you, you do is fine. If one, and, and he's, in this letter, he's talking to uh, somebody who is insisting on devotion, and he says, if one insists on bhakti, devotion, then it is by bhakti that it comes. Bhakti in its fullness is nothing than an entire self-giving. The path of devotion is a giving to the beloved, to God, surrender. Then all meditation, all tapasya, all means of prayer or mantra must have as its end, uh, and that is when one has progressed sufficiently that the divine grace descends and the realization comes and develops till it is complete. But the moment of its advent is chosen by the wisdom of the divine alone, and one must have the strength to go on till it arrives. So he's saying you have to be ready to do your practice until finally Shaktipat happens. And when it's truly ready, it cannot fail to come. Because our path is different. We get hit with Shaktipat before we're ready. Then we have to become ready for it. <clears throat> so. <clears throat> so that's Krishna. A couple of letters from, uh, from Aurobindo. So Gargi is reading letters from me, I'm reading letters from Aurobindo. It's, it's very good. <clears throat> uh, question. When I meditate, I have a feeling of a power within, uh, but that doesn't seem to have any practical effect on me or my life. Is there something that I'm missing? <laughs> so you, you get it, but it's devoid, divorced from life. Norbindo says, yes, there's something you are, something more, as you suspect. <clears throat> what you describe would just be a meaningless hallucination and not a real power. On the contrary, the invisible shakti producing results, both inward and outward, is the whole meaning of the yogic consciousness. That the shakti should impact our inner life and also our outer life. He's saying, uh, uh, he says, if we had not thousands of experiences showing that the power within could alter the mind, and when he says if we, he means the royal way, he's saying, if I had not, Aurobindo speaking from his own platform, if I had not had thousands of experiences showing that the power within can alter the mind, develop its powers, add new ones, bring in new ranges of knowledge, master the vital movements, change the character, influence men and things, control the conditions and functioning of the body, work as a concrete dynamic force on other forces, modify events, etc. 
I would not speak of it as I do. So he's saying, I've had thousands of these experiences and uh, of this shakti manifesting in all these ways, and I wouldn't speak of it if I hadn't had them. Not, it's not something that he's imagining. He's asserting that he's had all that. Moreover, he says, it is not only in its results, but in its movements that the shakti is tangible and concrete. I remember once uh, that uh, there was a seminar in which a teacher said something interesting. He said, thoughts are real forces. And I never forgot that. Thoughts are real forces. Well, even more than thoughts, shakti is a real force. It's not an idea, a concept. It's an actual energy. And it's something that we can and do connect with. So he says, the shakti is tangible and concrete. When I speak of feeling force or shakti, I do not mean simply having a vague sense of it. I mean feeling it concretely and consequently being able to watch its movement, to be conscious of its mass and intensity, as in there's a lot of shakti tonight. Um, These things are possible and usual by the development of yogi of yoga. He goes on, Shakti is not a power that acts without conditions and limits. Now this is interesting. The conditions and limits under which yoga or sadhana has to be worked out are not arbitrary or capricious. They arise from the nature of things. So he says, the experience of Shakti has laws. It's lawful. And these are the laws. These include the will, receptivity, cooperation, self-opening and surrender of the seeker, uh, and they have to be respected by the yoga force. So he's saying that the shakti will manifest to the extent that the seeker is open and purified and ready to receive it. He's saying this. Unless, unless it receives a sanction from the supreme to override everything and get something done, but that sanction is sparingly given. But he hadn't met Baba. Baba overrode that sanction all the time. <clears throat> and he even commented that uh, what he was doing was unlawful. He was worried. But it didn't stop him. <clears throat> um, he says, sometimes the Shakti manifests so strongly that it overrides a seeker's karma. But usually the Shakti respects the balance of the law of truth against the law of ignorance, and these determine its strength. So it it can wipe out your karma, or more likely it it works with it. Still, the yoga force is always tangible and concrete in the way I've described, and has tangible results. But it is invisible, not like a blow given or the rush of a motor car knocking someone down, when the physical senses, which the physical senses can at once perceive. How is the mere physical mind to know that it is there and working by its results? But how can it know that the results were that of yoga force and not of something else? So somebody says, how do you know it's there and it's really working? He says, what I'm talking about is a real experience, a direct experience. It can come about by the guru's influence. It is referred to in the traditions 
as the Guru's grace. One who is touched by that grace has a concrete inner experience of the Shakti. He feels it move up and down, stronger and weaker. It is not something imagined, but is as real as the taste of a lemon or a mango. <clears throat> In some cases, when the seeker's uh, sensitivity is not fully developed, the seeker can see the force manifesting outwardly in events and interactions. That's sometimes after Shaktipat, things happen in your life. You're not aware of inner, but things happen in your life, he says. Uh, this is, of course, less direct than the actual experience of the Shakti, but can be convincing nonetheless. Some people, that convinces some people that it, it's real. But there can be no experience of the Shakti, either inwardly or outwardly, when the doubting mind holds sway. So we create the, the, the possibility. Where doubts are strong, spiritual experience disappears. There must be an attitude of trust and openness. And this facilitates the manifestation of the Shakti as a concrete experience. That's why I always recommend that, that uh, every day we should sit quietly for a moment and open to that Shakti, how, you know, to that higher power. And just open to it. And if we can't open to it, then ask to be able to open to it. And if you can't ask to be able to open to it, sit mutely and wish that you could ask to be open to it. <laughs> Whatever you can do towards that Shakti is good. And even if you can't ask for it, turn towards it. And, and uh, try to open and connect to that Shakti uh, because that is the elixir, that is the fountain of youth, that is divinity, that is God. Uh, and in Christianity they call it the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. <clears throat> okay, let's see, I got two more. <clears throat> this is a Shaivite piece. Embracing yoga in the world. Question. As my practice went on, I felt separate from other people. And in the beginning, I felt this as a touch of Shiva. And it gave me a kind of joy. But soon I lapsed into depression. Am I getting closer to God or further away? <laughs> Is this separation from people a good thing? Aurobindo. He says, absence of love and fellow feeling is not necessary for nearness to the divine. You don't have to uh, <laughs> become separate. On the contrary, a sense of closeness and oneness with others is a part of divine consciousness. Baba, of course, when he says, I welcome you with love, see God in each other, is stressing that part. This is, this is what Shaivism says, very warm-hearted, and sees that the connection with all things, all living things, uh, is part of the spiritual process. He says, an entire rejection of all relations is indeed the final aim of the Maya Vadan. What's a Maya Vadan? You know what a Maya Vadan is? No? A Vedantin. He's like a, a, the Maya dudes. <laughs> They're into Maya. So the Vedantins are constantly rejecting and separating, rejecting, not this, not this, not this. So uh, 
He says, indeed, it's the final goal is to become completely separate. Uh, in the ascetic yoga, in the yoga of asceticism, in, uh, entire loss of relations of friendship and affectation and attachment to the world and its living beings would be regarded as a promising sign of advance towards liberation. <clears throat> but even there, but Aurobindo is not agreeing with that. He's saying that's on those kinds of paths. Uh, but even there, I think, a feeling of oneness and unattached spiritual sympathy for all as at least a penultimate stage. <laughs> you know, you'll get beyond it, you'll become completely separate one day. So, <clears throat> it's like the compassion of the Buddhist before attaining moksha or nirvana. In this yoga, means his yoga, which is very similar to the Shaivite point of view, it's also this yoga, the feeling of unity with others, love, universal joy, and ananda, or bliss, are an essential part of the, of the liberation and perfection, which are the aim of sadhana. And that's Baba's welcome with love. On the other hand, human society, human friendship, love, affection, fellow feeling, are mostly, not always, founded on a vital basis and are ego-based at their center. So now he's making a critique of most of our affections and attachments in the world are not based on higher power, but based on ego. Um, there are, of course, higher spiritual, psychic, mental, vital elements that come in or can come in, but the whole thing is very mixed, even at best, he's saying in human associations. This is the reason why at a certain stage in the world of life and human society and relations, oh, at a certain stage the world and life and human society and relations begin to pall. There is sometimes an ostensible reason, a disappointment. Something bad happens, you get bitter and disappointed with life. I got, I got disappointed with uh, my career, with uh, the academic life. Became very depressed about it. Because I thought it gave meaning. I was looking for meaning, and I thought I had meaning there. <clears throat> The perception that those loved the people generally are not what they thought them to be, and a host of other causes. But often the cause is a secret disappointment of some part of the inner being because it expected something which these things cannot give. <clears throat> like your, the, 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 the man you thought was your Krishna turns out just to be a guy. The woman you thought was your goddess turns out to be a woman. The job you thought was, was uh, meaning just turns out to be a job of work. And everything is just can't yield, but you can't expect these things to give it. Only the divine can give ultimate, the ultimate divine. That's what he's saying. So you get a, a sense of vairagya or world weariness when you, when you try to get squeeze the lemon of the world and try to, you know, make mango juice from it. He goes on, it is the case with many who turn to spiritual life. For some it takes the form of viragya, which drives them towards ascetic indifference and gives the urge towards self-realization by asceticism. <clears throat> For us, what we hold to be necessary is that consciousness should be established on a purer level. 
that what we hold necessary? That we should be more filled with shakti. And to do that, we have to purify our mind and vital, our emotions and our thoughts, to allow that shakti. Shakti is just leaking around outside you, trying to get in, desperate to fill every pore, every cell of the body. And we keep it out by negative thinking, negative tendencies, fear, desire, and anger, and all these things. So we have to get rid of these tendencies and allow this uplifting force. What I'm saying is not a fiction. This is just straight ahead truth. David, is it true? What? So say amen, amen. amen. Okay. <laughs> if that is to happen, there must obviously be a change. The old form of the movements must drop off and leave form for a new and higher self to disclose its own way of realization. <clears throat> and that is the inner truth of the matter. It's great stuff. I like this. No? He goes on. I take it Therefore, that the condition you described is a period of transition and change, negative in its beginning, as these movements often are at first, uh, so as to create a vacant space for the new positive to appear and live in it and fill it. I remember going through a phase early in my sadhana uh, where I felt like uh, I was betwixt and between that all the things that I used to get sort of energy from and joy from were no longer available to me. And yet I wasn't getting the joy and shakti from the divine yet. So I was just stuck in this miserable place. And I decided to leave the ashram. And that's why I became a banker in, <laughs> in New York. No, it's... Uh, I doggedly pursued it. <clears throat> anyway, so that's what he's saying. It's a transitional period where you're establishing a different way of accessing that higher power. He says, but the vital feels only the loss and regrets it, even while another part of the being is ready to let go of what is disappearing and does not yearn to keep it. And if it were not for this movement of the vital... Which, which in your case, talking to the, the questioner, has been very strong and large and avid of life. So Orban is saying, I know who you are, you know. You're not this kind of renunciant uh, Vedantin yogi. You're actually a big enjoyer of life. Big vital, loves, you know, song and food and associations and stuff. That's who you really are. Uh, and the disappearance of these things would, after the first sense of emptiness, eventually bring about a feeling of peace and relief, along with an expectation of greater things. In the first place, you experienced what you called the touch of Shiva, which brought peace and joy, but this did not last. As, as I've said, there must be a deep spiritual calm and peace, a new consciousness that form a stable foundation for devotion and bliss that lasts. So he's always uh, emphasizing that you have to have a certain equanimity, a certain peace to allow as a base for this to come in. He's attained that. 
In that new consciousness, there'd be a new basis of relations with others. An ascetic dryness or isolated loneliness cannot be your spiritual destiny, talking to the person, since it is not consonant with your swabhav, which is made for joy, for, for largeness, for expansion, comprehensive movement of the life force. <clears throat> I saw a lot of, uh, this reminds me of uh, the, the guys in the dorm in Ganeshpuri. They're some of the most vital guys who are the biggest bogies or, you know, uh, enjoyers of life would come and try to be great yogis. Because, you know, that same urge, now they're going to become great yogis and renounce everything and uh, pour themselves into it. And they got more and more uptight and miserable as time went on. I tell the story in my book about one guy who would get so wound up he'd run away. And then uh, after some months he'd come up with his tail between his legs, go to Baba and say, I have sinned, I'm a bad boy. And I, you know, he had enough boga, pleasure seeking. And Baba said, go to the dorm. And uh, he kept doing this cycle all the time. <clears throat> He goes on, therefore do not be discouraged. Wait upon the purifying movement of Shiva. So a lot of them are in this the space of sadhana where they're doing practice and they're, they're burning through it and uh, they, they don't have a fullness of, of that realization. So he's saying be patient and let it come. <clears throat> and finally, one little bit on meditation which is, picks up these, some of these themes. Question, my meditations lack the qualities of bliss, love, and wisdom. I feel a calmness, but that seems more like an absence of something than something very desirable. Do your meditations have bliss, love, and wisdom in it? More bliss, more love, or more wisdom? Or more peace? I'm just asking. Obindo says, calm, even if it seems first only a negative thing, is so difficult to attain that to have it at all must be regarded as a great step in advance. So if, if you feel peace, and I can vouch having spoken and talked to people for 50 years, uh, that, uh, that a person who's calm is really has some attainment. Um, he says, in reality, calm is not a negative thing. It is the very nature of the satpurusha, of a great being, uh, and the positive foundation of divine consciousness. He always emphasized this. Very interesting, isn't it? That, that peacefulness. <clears throat> Whatever else is aspired for and gained, this must be kept. Even knowledge, power, bliss, if they come and do not find this foundation, they are unable to remain and have to withdraw until the divine purity and peace of the Satpurusha are permanently there. And that's why a lot of people, after Shaktipat, they have ecstatic experiences and then they disappear. That's because some fundamental peacefulness uh, hasn't been established. So you have to grind that out through work on yourself and so on and, and find that. He says, aspire for divine consciousness, both a calm and deep aspiration. 
It can be ardent as well as calm, but not impatient, restless, or full of rajasic eagerness. So I was, I was driven crazy by my desire for um, God, for, for what of a better term. Um, I was just, I would sit there and I'd say, I would feel my striving, you know, as I sat there to meditate, I'm trying to meditate and I'm feeling like, and at some point I became aware that this was antithetical to my quest and I understood what he was saying, that there has to be a peacefulness. Uh, there can be an aspiration, it must be an aspiration, but it must come from uh, a center of fulfillment also, of contentedness. So the aspiration within contentedness. He says, only in the quiet mind and being can the higher truth build its true creation. Keep quiet and do not mind if it is for a time an empty quietude. One's consciousness is often like a vessel which has to be empty of its mixed or undesirable contents and has to be kept vacant for a while till it can be filled with things uh, new and true, right and pure. The one thing to be avoided is refilling the cup with old, turbid contents. <laughs> More crap. Get rid of your whole the crap you came with and you build new crap. Meanwhile, wait, open yourself upwards, call very quietly and steadily, not with too restless eagerness, for peace to come into the silence. And at once, peace is there. Uh, or joy and presence as well. And one's peace is there for joy and presence as well. So this is, this is actually meditation instructions. Let's meditate for 10 minutes and we'll use that as our meditation. You can take that, I'll, I'll use this. <clears throat> we'll meditate for 10 minutes. And let's uh, follow Aurobindo's formula here. Close your eyes. and open yourself inside and call. He says, call upwards. Call quietly and steadily, not desperately, not restlessly. Call for peace to come in. And in our terms, we can say, as we said before, call on the Shakti. Sit quietly and call on the higher power to manifest. That Shakti can manifest in many ways, as light, as Aurobindo said, as love, as energy, as insight, as visionary things. All these are manifestations of the Shakti. So just sit quietly and call on that great Shakti to come in, open yourself, and let that shakti enter. I will meditate for 10 minutes, and once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satguna Maharaj Ki Jai.